as a way of acknowledging that God has infused his grace in everything if we're willing to look for it. And that doesn't mean that everything is good or everything is holy to go back to where we started. Um, we still have to bring discernment into this because often the uh, the beauty is mixed right in there with the brokenness. Um, but in the really transcendental works of art, I think we can find it. That was Josh Larson, and this is the Things Above podcast. Well, my guest today is Josh Larson. He has spent 25 years as a film critic. Uh, He writes about movies at Larson on Film. He's the editor of Faith and Culture magazine, and he's the host of a podcast called Think Christian. And I was excited to have Josh on this podcast today, this Things Above conversation, because of his book that I came across, uh, gosh, a little over a year ago, called Movies Are Prayers, How Films Voice Our Deepest Longings, which is a book by InterVarsity Press, which is my publisher. And so when I saw that book, I picked it up and said, oh, I got to read this because I love movies. So Josh, welcome to the podcast. Thank you very much, Jim. I'm excited to be here and also to be part of the upcoming Apprentice Gathering, get to know, I know. Uh, you and your group a little bit more and it should be a lot of fun. So I'm happy it to be here be today. Because we are fun and <laughs> we, I believe Christians should have fun. We should be what did St. Augustine say? Christians should be alleluias from head to toe, which I like. That sounds that. good. I like it. I'm going to make a poster of that or something. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> so, hey, you're from Chicago. Are you still That's in right. Chicago? Yeah, just outside of the city and try to spend as much time in it as I can. So, for sure. It's an amazing city. I don't like your weather. Can I say that? Well, you can say that. There's no denying it. But when you get that three, maybe four month span of nice yes. weather, it's my favorite city in the world. It is. I I, I will give you, but that's only that's only um, one fourth of the year. <laughs> I know. I know. <laughs> no, I, I. It is an amazing city. I love it, and I love going to Wrigley Field and going. Well, we're not here to talk about Chicago, but so <laughs> you, I I know this about you. You grew up watching Siskel and Ebert. Yeah, that's right. Part of I did too. Part of the Chicago tradition is film criticism and in print and of course Siskel and Ebert on TV. That was a weekly a weekly ritual for my family growing up. Me too. I I I I used to VHS tape those things. Wow. Like I, I, I don't even know if I could do that. I don't even have a VHS recorder that is, anymore. That is commitment. It was because I just, those guys were brilliant. I loved when they argued, when they fought, you know. Of course, for a movie. of course. One of them was thumbs up, one was thumbs down. But, um, <laughs> you know, Josh, for our listeners, they may not know that I actually myself am, am a movie fanatic. I probably do mention some movies in my books now and then, but really for my whole life, I I love movies and I'm I'm – I'm odd like you, if that's that's a weird compliment. <laughs> I'm odd like you. I'll that take I really it. pay I, I pay attention. I pay attention to directors and actors and yeah. I love to talk about scenes and meaning and symbolism and stuff like that. So I hope our listeners are ready to go, go hang with us in that. But your book is really unbelievable. I love uh, I was drawn to it. This idea that movies are prayers is um I had never thought about that. I'm mm. fully convinced you're absolutely right. And, oh, and that's we'll, good. We'll get, <laughs> yeah, does that feel nice? I, affirmation. I feel a little right? better now about where this conversation will go. Yeah, yes. Yeah, he's not <laughs> going to grill me. Um, but uh, so I thought we'd do something kind of fun at the beginning. 
And it'll be a little teaser because for listeners who hang with us through the duration of this particular episode, we might pick up some some more of these kinds of questions. But here we go. What's your favorite movie? Oh, yeah, that's that's one I have to have an answer for, even though there isn't really an answer because I get it a lot. And what I say, because it's fairly safe, I think, is Alfred Hitchcock's Rear Window. Um, I say it because it's widely considered a classic. It's pretty safe. But also, for me, it is one of those personal treasures in film because it at once has so much to say about it really has a lot to say about why we watch movies, if you think about it, because it yeah. is all about this character who's watching his neighbors. But it's also breathlessly entertaining. And you have Jimmy Stewart and you have all of that, all of the Grace surface Kelly. pleasures, Grace Kelly, yeah. you know, those surface pleasures, the movie, the movies can give us are all there. While at the same time, it is this uh, incredibly thought provoking and, you know, pretty disturbing and pretty disturbing film as well. It is. Oh, it's freaky. Yeah. And, and you know what? And I watch it again and again, and I still get nervous. I still, oh, yeah. even I know how it's going to end. I'm like, oh, For no, sure. oh, no. He's, he's in that room. Oh, no. Yeah. It, it has that intensity and that claustrophobia to it. Yeah. And I think it works for people about my son who's, you know, he's in his early 20s or I think he was when we first saw it. And he was, he got totally riveted into it. So I think it's just one of those timeless films that for sure, even though it's black and white, it's just great. Okay. Uh, for me, Josh, it's, um, it's a wonderful life. Okay. There you go. Yeah. You know, and I know that's one that you mentioned in the book. So, uh, it's my, it's kind of like you, it's like an easy one to go to, but I love the, I love the kind of Christian themes that are there, which we'll, we'll probably talk about a little bit later. Um, definitely first movie you saw. This is also difficult to answer because I'm sure there are, I know there are movies I saw before Raiders of the Lost Ark in so theaters. So how about in theaters then? Oh, oh okay. Yeah. I, I'm sure I saw something before that, but I, I definitely remember seeing that. And I remember we were on vacation uh, in Michigan with my family, extended family vacation, like 80 people would come for this. But my dad Whoa. and I stole away from the lake to go to another town and see, and this is where things are fuzzy too. I'm 90% sure it was Raiders, um, but it could have been Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom. So I, I was, you know, around that time, I was six, between six and nine, something like that when those films came out. So memory is a little fuzzy, but I think it was partly um, going to see the film with my dad, just the two of us, as much as the film itself, um, having that time. But of course, Raiders um, is another classic, one of Spielberg's best. And as a kid, also one that's going to completely enthrall you. So that, yeah, that experience I guess it was so formative. I think of it as my first movie experience. Yeah. Oh, it's so good. And it just, it grabs you from that opening scene in the jungle with that giant ball rolling and you think it's coming to hit you. And it's a, (laughs) it's a ride to the end. It's oh, it's so good. Well, my first movie in a theater, I don't have any doubt about this. It was the 10 commandments and it was with my mom, not my dad, but my, yeah, my mom just, I don't remember the circumstances. I just remember we're going to a movie gym and we went to, and it was, and you may remember back then, uh, 10 commandments was so long. There was an intermission. Like, yes, like you stopped the theater, the screen went black and a, and a curtain went up and you went out and had 15 minutes to, 
I mean, that we don't really do that anymore, but not very that often. Was no, such an epic film. I mean, and, and probably in some certainly in some good ways, but certainly probably in some bad ways influenced my narratives about God because Interesting. You know, it's, it's so there's, I mean, the, with the plagues and the, yes. the suffering and the, the Egyptians being drowned. And all that. So mm-hmm. anyway, uh, but yeah. So was that, was that a unique experience for your family or were you, did you grow up in a, in a movie going family or was this a situation where, because it was the 10 commandments, you, your mom made a point to go see it? No, we did see movies. I mean, I, I we saw, I saw, um, um, you know, Jungle Book and Pinocchio and we saw okay. I, all of those sort of classics at the time. My, my mm-hmm. mom would take us to see those, but no, I, it wasn't just because it was Christian or anything. I think it was just the movie to see yeah, at definitely. that time. And it, and that movie's still, it's still okay. It's, it's a little corny in places, but yeah, it's definitely uh, of its era, and uh, the theology of it, as you mentioned, is very interesting in, in what sort of mainstream Hollywood felt was the way to present God as a presence on screen. Yeah, yeah. But definitely the holiness of God, this sort of the, the majesty of God kind the of power. comes across. The power, for sure, for sure. Um, okay, this is a question just for you, not for me, because I am not a film critic, but what was the first movie that you reviewed? Hmm. <laughs> I do remember this. Uh, and it was Interview with a Vampire, the Neil Jordan directed film with oh, Tom man, Cruise and Brad terrible. Pitt, 1994. <laughs> um, I honestly, I can't even tell you whether I gave it a positive review or a negative <laughs> review. I don't, I don't remember. <laughs> I didn't, I have not seen it since. Um, but man, that was a very controversial one for that casting. Um, and right. it, it was, I remember being very excited that that was my first paid assignment. So that was, that was the one for the local newspaper where I actually got a check for, um, inflicting my opinion of the movie <laughs> on the world. <laughs> I realized, That'll wow, this, with you. this could really happen, huh? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's great. Well, you've been at it a long time. I'm like, man, 25 years of doing it. Um, well, let's go ahead and just establish one thing right away for our listeners. You are a Christian. Right. I mean, Mm -hmm. you are a believer. And so as a Christian and a person who watches films and certainly as a film critic, I mean, you watch all kinds of films. I think kind of the big question that you have to address if you're, you know, if it's Christians talking about film is about limitations on what Christians should watch. I mean, just the classic question, should Christians watch R-rated movies? Mm -hmm. Um, So let me put you on a spot with that one. Yeah, it's the discernment question, which is of absolute importance. I think the way I approach it, though, might be from a little different vantage point, sort of a foundational way I approach discernment. And uh, it's really, this goes back to something we've just kind of been talking about, how we experience movies as part of our families uh, and how we were raised. In in my home, culture, Christian home, but culture was not something that was ever presented as um, something we needed to be afraid of. Uh, Rather, it was something that was a gift, something to be enjoyed, and alongside being discerning while we were doing that. So it's almost, it's just a different posture, if that makes sense, where when I get this question about R-rated movies and such, often the foundational assumption behind it is one of fear and one of 
protection. Uh, we need to avoid, we're thankful for that R because it's an easy way for us to know it's, da- it's dangerous and we need to stay away. Um, whereas, you know, having this position of seeing culture as a gift from God that, um, you know, human beings made in his image, given creative abilities, have created these cultural artifacts that we can enjoy is just a different way of thinking about it. So then the discernment comes in um, more about what can we celebrate? What can we point to that is good in these things? Um, while also being honest about the ways that film can, of course, influence our desires in unhealthy ways. Uh, it's not denying that that isn't out there. It's just not putting that as the foremost thing to be concerned about. So, you know, when it comes back to the particulars of your question, movies rated R, well, um, I'll relate it to the subject of of the book. Movies are prayers. Some of my prayers are rated R. I, I'm... I'm a fallen being. Sometimes I pray for the wrong things. Sometimes I use harsh language in my prayer if I'm angry. Sometimes I pray in the wrong way or I I fall asleep during my prayers. Um, Similarly, our movies are rated R. There's the good alongside the bad. There are things to be discerning about in some R-rated movies, and there are things to be celebrated. And it's not simply just pointing to specific content and saying a movie with this piece of content um, is automatically something we need to avoid. Mm, I, I like that. And, you know, I think about uh, the Bible itself because the, the imprecatory Psalms, which are the, the, that's a big fancy word, imprecatory, but it's the Psalms <laughs> of real anger and violence. Mm-hmm. and the most famous one is the one that contains the line. This is in your Bible, folks who are listening. But there's a, a I guess you'd call it a prayer, where, where the, the psalmist says to God, may their babies' heads be dashed into rocks. Mm. I mean, you don't get any more violent than, than thinking of someone taking a baby. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry even to be talking about it, but hey, it's in the Bible, as well as adultery and assault and, and incest. And the, the Bible is, you know, my friend Rich Mullins, Christian singer, songwriter, he used to often say, hey, man, the Bible is R-rated. I mean, the Bible Absolutely. itself is full of, I mean, and we don't throw it out because there's darkness. Um, you could make there. the case, you could make the case it's NC-17. And so what what do we do with the Bible when we encounter those things? Well, I, I think Christians, thoughtful Christians ask ourselves, well, why is that in there? Uh, how does how does this content fit, not in this specific verse or even chapter, but within the larger redemptive arc of God's story that the Bible tells? And I think it's helpful to take when you're discerning uh, about film watching a similar approach and, and ask ourselves, if there is some very difficult content uh, in this film, why is it there? Why did the filmmakers choose to put this on the screen? Now, there will be some cases where the simple answer is it's to be exploitative. Um, and those are probably the films and examples we want to avoid. But I would argue in most cases, when you're watching good films, a lot of thinking and careful deliberation went into putting that content in the film. And and it's worth exploring, well, why is it there? What is the movie saying um, by using this sort of content? Just as we would with those rough stories in the Bible. Yeah. I like that, Josh, because it's when when the violence or the sexuality is gratuitous, when it's just for the sake of the, of the you know, of the effect that that has, that to me that that's off the I don't that's I'm not interested in that at all. Mm-hmm. But you know, if 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 you say as a Christian, 
I probably am going to offend a couple of listeners right now, but but I think if you say you as a Christian you can't watch an R-rated movie that is, is just that it's out of bounds for a Christian, wow, you're going to leave a lot of great art um, out. I mean, some you some are. movies that for me have been deeply moving in uh, and discernment's hard though, and I like how you well, put that. I mean, that's. Let yeah, me flip ahead. it the other way too, and and just to say, as you're as you're, I agree with you. It's it's not helpful to say all Christians should avoid a movie that's rated R. I agree with you, but we also have to come at it the other way and say that isn't to imply that all Christians need to watch R-rated movies. Um, right. So the grace flows the other way, where if someone comes up to me and says, you know, for whatever reason, I found this film caused me to personally stumble in my faith walk, um, then they are not, they're not a worse moviegoer for wanting to avoid it. Does that make sense? Like, mm-hmm, discernment mm-hmm. is also, we can say there are these foundational postures that are good to take, but discernment is also very personal. So something that, you know, content in a film that I might find troubling for myself, um, you know, maybe someone else doesn't, and it's okay for me then to not watch that film. So, so we need mm-hmm. to, um, as we're encouraging Christians to be open-minded about movies, also be respectful of those personal choices where they want to say, um, that may be all well and good, but for me, um, I want this to be off limits. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's right. And I, I mean, certainly in my own personal life, there have been, I'm thinking of television series that I, you know, I got four or five episodes in and went, you know, I don't like how I feel. Mm. With this, I don't yeah, like how, yeah. I mean, I think that the violence and, and even whatever level of nudity or something, I just go, you know, I don't like how this feels. This doesn't, and I don't need to put it in my mind. And yeah. this, this podcast is called things above. We talk about what are we going to put into our minds? And I think I want to put things into my mind that actually inspire and encourage. And so. And that's a good well, question that, that, to ask, really. How how does this make me feel? That's that's really sort of an unscientific, uh, but very truthful way to kind of um, do mm-hmm. discernment. I think is just to be honest with yourself. That's the other element too, right? We deceive ourselves and might say, "Oh, I can handle this," or "This isn't a problem." Um, so another element is, you know, discernment is it's important to do that in community. I think so that we're being honest mm. with ourselves about how something does make us feel. Yeah, that's a good point. In fact, just just the other day, uh, uh, my niece, uh, ta- I was talking to my niece about, um, she had started watching a, a television program that I had quit. And she just said, yeah, I don't know if I want to keep going with this. And I said, actually, I would encourage you not to. <laughs> and it wasn't terrible bad, but it was just like there was so much violence and so much it was unnecessary. And it was, to me, it was a bummer because I think the show had a lot of good in it. but mm. And that's um, the tough thing, was, right? Well done. Right. Yeah, that's yeah. the hard thing is when, as I said, the 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 good and the artistic is often alongside the, the troubling. And um, that doesn't make it such an easy black or white uh, question, this, this discerning uh, endeavor. Yeah. And I think, I kind of, I think it comes back to Paul's thing in Romans about, look, if, if it's, if, for, and yeah, I think you said it, Josh. I mean, if, if a person says to me, look, I just never going to watch an Aria movie, I go, okay, for you. I mean, that's your call. Mm-hmm. And it's, and, and I'm not going to call that person a weaker brother because, you know, Paul talks about that some people can't eat meat that's offered to idols. Some people can. Some people, you know, for drinking is off limits, whatever. Right. And I, and I, and I, I totally am sensitive to that reality that you don't want to make someone stumble or, you know, you want to be sensitive to individual cases. And so I, I appreciate what you're saying about that as well. Well, let's uh, let's go ahead and jump in because uh, 
as I said, I really, really love the book. Thank you. Movies are prayers. Um, and a question I ask pretty much every author I have on the show is, what were you hoping to do with this book? I think I was hoping to, there's been a, a lot of talk in recent years about um, the right for Christians to take film seriously in the way that you and I have just been talking about. Um, I think we've shifted. I grew up in the culture wars of the 80s and 90s where uh, it was an open question, like, sh should we even engage films at all? And I think the groundwork has been laid. There's been a lot of good books written about, um, yes, we should. Um, here is here is not only why we should engage with films, um, but here are some of the good films to do that with. And often these would be movies that have obvious religious narratives, if not obviously re religious themes in them. And so I started thinking about we've kind of cleared the ground for the right to do Christian film criticism, for a lack of a better phrase. But what would an entire project of Christian film criticism look like? I wanted to actually do it. You know, um, I was part of the conversation of making the argument that we could do it, but then what does it actually look like? So um, this was an opportunity for me to say, well, here's how you could bring a Christian lens to film. It's just one way. It's not the way um, that Christians should think about films. But what if we looked at movies as prayers, as these offerings being given to God that follow the somewhat similar models of the prayers, the explicit prayers that a Christian might offer to God. And I wanted to also bring in movies that weren't religiously or explicitly religious, I should say, so that I'm starting to see this sense of how almost any film has this spiritual potential built within it. And here's a framework for maybe um, figuring out what that potential might be. So that, that was sort of what I wanted to do with it is just some, an actual project of Christian film criticism. I think that's why I was drawn to the book, because I had not really seen anyone approach the idea of film in general, like the larger picture, not just in specific movies, but the idea of film in general, and, and to approach it from a Christian perspective. So that's immediately why um, when I saw it, actually, I saw it in an IVP bookstore at our conference. We have IVP. Oh, really? Okay. At, at our annual conference. And I always go in and, and look around and I saw that. And, and, and actually, one of the one of the people working there, Elise, uh, she works for IVP. And yeah, I, I know Elise. She goes, oh, I, you know Elise, yeah. Yes. I picked up the book and I and I was looking at it and she walked over and she goes, oh, I love this book. <laughs> I think I'm going to too, so that's good. That's well, I mean, great. you make the statement, I mean, the, the title itself says movies are prayers. Like you didn't say might be prayers or could be prayers. <laughs> right, right. How, how are movies prayers? So yeah, it's it's a little bold, but that's what a title has to be, right? I mean, not every movie is a prayer, not exactly making that claim, but I wanted to open up that possibility. And the case is that it really has to do with this idea of common grace, which can, you know, partly be traced back to the Dutch theologian Abraham Kuyper that all of humanity has been blessed by God with certain gifts. And so there are creative folks who may not believe in God. They may not be professing Christians, yet he's blessed them with uh, abilities. And in their working through those gifts and in creating art, then God's truth can sometimes be reflected and sometimes be revealed. He can speak through that work, even if it wasn't necessarily meant to be um, a work of spirituality. And so then that's sort of the, you know, the underlying foundational 
making the argument that movies could even be seen this way, more specifically as prayers. Uh, I just think that, um, you know, prayer, we have a very narrow definition of prayer. It's something a Christian offers to God. But I think when we look at what those prayers are, they're really the sort of things that any human being professes when they ask themselves, um, but God hears them, what is this place? Why am I here? Um, Why is this world full of beauty? Why is it also full of brokenness? Whenever a human being is wondering those sorts of things and asking those sorts of questions, um, I believe they're offering up a prayer. And again, if they're not a Christian, they would not describe it that way. But as a Christian, I also fully believe that God is listening to them and hearing those things. And there are very different ways that we express that. Sometimes they are prayers of praise when we see something beautiful. Sometimes they're prayers of anger when we're frustrated. Uh, often they're prayers of lament when we we just don't know what else to do um, in a terrible situation and we have to give it up. Um, Non-Christians express those things too. Um, and because of that, they express them through the movies they make. So it's really this broader view of, um, you know, how an artist, how God can work through an artist uh, and how an art can mean, mul- a piece of art can mean multiple things at the same time. Well, now, Josh, you're really, you're, you mean, this is a big subject for me personally, because um, this idea of art, and, and on this podcast, I've talked a great deal about beauty. Um, and and beauty is is that which moves us to, to transcendence, I believe, and and it doesn't have to necessarily have a Christian label on it, but, um, but yeah, this is a big subject because again, it's back to that question about um, Christians and faith and film and art and that sort of thing, and that is, and, and I guess I'll go the, I'll go at it this way. So what I, what I think I hear you saying about Kuiper was his his approach was look, if if someone creates some piece of art, and let's say they're a non-believer or an agnostic or whatever. They're not necessarily intending on doing something religious. Their art itself may be some kind of an expression that would be, uh, uh, what's, I'll let you finish that sentence. It, it, how does it connect to God, even though if they didn't intend it? Sure. Well, it, it has to do with another um, idea that Kuiper wrote about a lot, and that is God's sovereignty. And this is something that, you know, Christians profess. God is over all. He has created all there is. He is beyond even that. Um, and so we, that means that even in something that was not made with the intent, um, of reflecting him or his truth or his story, maybe it's better to use the word story here, um, because God is over that story, because it is ultimately his story, we're going to find echoes of it in the world. And, and that's what beauty is. I think you're right to bring in transcendence. Um, that is why beauty speaks to all of humanity. Um, God is allowing us to sense him in that beauty, even it, though it may not be explicitly religious. Uh, probably Kuiper's most well-known quote is, is there is not a square inch in the whole domain of our human existence over which Christ, who is sovereign over all, does not cry, mine. And I read that um, not as territorial or not as a conquering statement, but um, as a way of acknowledging that God has infused his grace in everything if we're willing to look for it. And that doesn't mean that everything is good or everything is holy. To go back to where we started, um, we still have to bring discernment into this because often the uh, the beauty is mixed right in there with the brokenness. Um, but in the really transcendental works of art, I think we can find it. Yeah. I mean, it's, it, yeah, it's there. It's somehow, 
uh, it, it's moving us to something even if we don't necessarily know. I think it was the the play Death of a Salesman by Arthur Miller. I think I read somewhere, maybe you know this too, Josh. I don't know how, how much you were, are into plays and, and, and theater, but I, I think I read somewhere that like in the first several performances of Death of a Salesman, like when the curtain went down, people just, they didn't move. Hmm. They just sat there and they didn't. And it was very strange, I think, for Miller himself to do, to, to the, the reaction was, I mean, people, I mean, that's not a, a quote unquote Christian play. Mm-hmm. It's dealing with the depths of humanity and it's a moving, de- oh my gosh. Yeah, I think but, that's a good, that's a helpful phrase too, the depths of humanity. When a piece of art resonates with that, um, you know, it's touching at once with what is very human and, and, uh, and basic and also what is transcendental and what is spiritual and making the connection between the two. And I think that's where we can find echoes of, of God's story and where we fit in it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I don't know why I'm thinking of this and, and maybe we'll edit this out of, out of the broadcast or the podcast itself, but I can't stop thinking about a conversation I had with Rich Mullins, uh, who was when, when Amy Grant did the song, baby, baby, mm-hmm. which, which was this, it topped the charts at number one. It probably yeah. made her a ton of money. It was super popular, and she got all kinds of criticism because, like, and she's a Christian singer. How can she sing this pop sure. love song? And I remember Rich, because uh, he was living as, with us at the time, and he got really upset that Christians had jumped on it. And he was like, you know what? I wish I'd written Baby Baby because, because <laughs> you know what? It's just a love song, and there, love sure. is a thing. You know, when the Beatles write, I saw her standing there, nobody goes, that's terrible. But it's like, no, a Christian can't just write a love song. And well, that's wanting, that goes back to wanting to have those lines clearly drawn, right? So we can say that, um, that this is the safe side of the line when it comes to popular culture. And for some people, Amy Grant, she stepped over that line and that was just too much. Yeah. It should have been baby, baby. I love you because the Lord has brought you to me or (laughs) (laughs) maybe that would have been you just had, yeah, drop Jesus in the song somewhere and you're safe. That would have been okay. Although there's also, (laughs) there's also the popularity out element too. I mean, sometimes it's a sin to become too, um, too accepted by the mainstream culture is a sin in and of itself. Um, whereas I see when that happens as a sign that, um, that artist has, has really tapped into something. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I don't know why I digressed with that story, but I can just see, I can remember <laughs> Rich's face cause he was really pretty upset. Like, I wish I'd written baby. Yeah. Baby. Yeah. Made me some money. And, <laughs> <laughs> oh, well. Okay. So, well, you quote my, my friend and mentor, Richard Foster, who uh, writes in his book about prayer, um, countless people pray far more than they know. Um, and, and, I, and I think that's kind of what you're getting at in the book is that I think countless movies pray more than they know. Yeah. Even if, yeah. Even if they aren't uh, trying to. But let's jump in. To uh, so you you have these categories of prayer like praise, yearning, confession, uh, and and you connect them to a movie or maybe you use a movie to illustrate how how that's happening. But the first category of prayer you write about in the book is praise. Mm-hmm. Um, what are some of the movies that represent prayers of praise, and and uh, why and how do they do it? Sure. I start with, um, talk about one that crossed over and appealed to a ton of people, uh, Avatar, um, the science fiction, James Cameron's science fiction action fantasy. And the reason I began there is, first of all, I wanted to welcome, you know, not just 
movie oddballs like you and me into the book, but people who just like going to a show. Um, and Avatar was a huge hit. And for me, yeah. I just saw that as a prayer of praise in the way that um, it's it's all about encountering this new world, um, this new planet that is just gorgeous and mind-boggling. A lot of critics don't like Avatar, but I was so lost in the the digital artistry that they managed in that film in in this planet that has floating mountains in the air and made it feel real uh, and palpable on the screen. And really what that is, in a lot of ways, is an act of sub-creation. All of the filmmakers involved, the technical artists, everyone, to bring that world to life, they are mimicking nothing less than our creation and God's creative act in Genesis itself. Um, and that form of sub-creation is obviously never going to reach the same heights. Um, but even in doing that, what you're offering is a form of praise. It's imitation is the sincerest form of flattery is what it is. And it's acknowledging what God had created for us and in this world that we can still see and enjoy um, and giving thanks for that and praise for that by just modeling it in in this creative way and building this new world in Avatar. So when I watch that film, it, it kind of, it brings to mind the same sort of awe I have in the natural world, just within this world of the movie. It is, it is absolutely stunning. And, and, and Cameron spent years making that film, didn't he? I mean, he spent. Yeah. With a lot of his work, it's, you know, he's, he's a guy who's as interested in the technology as uh, the narrative, which is maybe something that a lot of critics don't like about him, but it has certainly meant that in films like Titanic or even the Terminator movies, that he's going to bring the movies to a new visual place that we hadn't seen before. And I think he did that with the computer generated uh, imagery of Avatar for sure. Well, I, I read somewhere, I think that he actually like, uh, he named all the plants, like who, who needs to do that? Like, the yeah. plants that you would just, and that kind of reminded me of Tolkien, you know, that Tolkien mm -hmm. decided to, he came up with language, he wrote languages and he, he was very specific. I mean, no, nothing was left unturned in, in the, as you called it, was it, was it sub creation? You said, yeah. Or? Yeah. Sub creation. Yeah. And that's what Middle Earth is. That's what Narnia is. They're, they're very similar uh, works in those ways. And again, I see those as, I see those books too, as prayers of praise in a way of saying, um, in response to what God has created. And because, again, we're creative beings made in his, his image, um, we offer up our creative works as praise to him. Yeah. Now, of course, not everybody that's listening has seen Avatar. It was a huge hit, but uh, let's, you, you do mention a, uh, a movie that is, and it's not only, it's a very short movie, <laughs> but a movie that represent prayers of praise that I think probably most everybody's seen. Let's talk about A Charlie Brown Christmas. A Charlie Brown Christmas. Well, this is one that I think I do reference uh, sort of in passing at some point um, because it was almost too literal, right, to to have this um, cartoon, this kid's cartoon that nonetheless ends in an almost shocking, maybe for the time it wasn't shocking, but these days when you see it, it's an almost so shocking expression of, of faith in, in Linus reading from the stage or professing the Christmas story. And, you know, obviously that, that does function as um, giving thanks for the greatest gift for Christ's birth. But yeah, it's interesting to think about that one um, being so explicitly religious. And you wonder if 
if a Christmas special like that could be made today outside of the realm of faith-based entertainment. You know, we get a lot of that Mm -hmm. within that bubble, but you have to remember these specials were uh, uh, on national television. They were national events. Um, And I'm not sure that would happen today. I think you're absolutely right. No question about that. And I, it's one of those that I watch every year. I, I, yeah, I, we I, do too. Christmas has gone by that I just, and I love, and when it gets to Linus's speech at the end, I tear up, I get goosebumps and it, cause it's just, uh, it's so beautiful. It's suddenly in the midst of this great, in this tragic story of he's left out, you know, all the, all that Charlie Brown stands for. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden, you know, what's the real meaning of Christmas? And here it is. Bang. With that great speech. <laughs> just brilliant. I'm glad. And that's a perfect example of I think people who aren't even believers, you know, year after year, are probably watching that film and they're getting the gospel somehow. Yeah. Yeah. Directly (laughs) in that that case. Very directly. Yeah. yeah. We have it. We've got it on DVD at home too. So put that on along with uh, the Grinch and Rudolph and a few other classics every year. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, I think you talk about the snowman too, which I love the snowman, Mm -hmm. but that's another discussion. (laughs) That's um, a good one. It's so good. Um, Prayers of yearning. and, And you quote Eugene Peterson in that chapter. Prayers reach uh, into the unknown for whatever we sense deep within us will provide wholeness or for what we hope for far off will bring salvation. There is that inner longing, that yearning that we have for something that in some ways we can't describe it. And, and I think you use sort of as a prime example of a film that does that is The Wizard of Oz. And so here I am sitting in the midst of Kansas. Uh <laughs> So I think it's only fair that talk a bit, a little bit about the Wizard of Oz and how that represents a prayer of yearning. Close to your heart there in Kansas. I I get it. Indeed. Yeah. I mean, this is, it's a search for home, right? Is what the Wizard of Oz is. And that's what all of our yearning is. I mean, we know, goes back to this idea of beauty and brokenness. We know that this world in many ways feels like home and feels like the right place, but also there is enough awfulness here that it can't be fully right. And so even those who don't know the Christian story, don't know the promise of a restored creation that the Bible offers, um, they still yearn for that. That yearning for things to be made right, for the true home is built within all of us. So how can a movie that's all about that, like The Wizard of Oz is, not speak to audiences and not resonate as this prayer for yearning, this wanting to to be, find our way home. And that movie is really interesting because much of it is uh, all about Dorothy going about that search in the wrong ways, right? Think about how often she fails. Think about the false gods that she puts her hope in, not only the three friends, but ultimately the wizard himself, who's shown to be a, a sham. Um, and I think this resonates too with the Christian story. And in, in a lot of ways, we cannot find our way home on our own. We can accept God's gift and, and God's grace um, that he offers that restoration and will bring it about. Um, but Dorothy's not going to be able to earn it. And it's not really until she lets go of that understanding uh, and just does something simple as... Um, obey a promise, click her heels that she does finally get home. So I think Mm -hmm. yearning, you know, I think yearning is, is something I really enjoyed this chapter. I'll I'll tell you, Jim, because it was the one where I thought, um, someone who isn't a believer might be able to read and say, okay, 
I've felt that I've experienced that not only in myself, but I've also resonated with it in movies um, that have done something similar. I spend a lot of time on science fiction films in that chapter because I think a lot of those capture um, this uh, this yearning we all share. And so that was a lot of fun one. to That was a fun one to dig into. Oh, it, it's a great chapter. And, you know, I also think, too, Josh, about The Wizard of Oz, that the the yearning of the three characters, you know, the the desire for a brain, for a heart. For yeah, courage, yeah. That all three of them, uh, they're representing that, I, which I think is a huge issue in human life is I'm deficient. Mm, you know, I think, mm-hmm. I think our, whether it's our culture or sometimes our religious narratives tell us that we're somehow deficient, that we lack something. Yeah. And, and of course the irony of the whole thing is that for all of all, not only the three, but Dorothy too. I mean, Dorothy, she already was home. Yeah, right. <laughs> he, he already had the brain. He already had courage. He yeah. Had, you know, and, it, and and I think there's something explicitly Christian in that idea that that uh, as people made in God's image, that we are we come in a sense fully equipped, mm-hmm. even if we don't think it. But yeah, now yeah. I'm, there's... Now I'm pretending to be like you. So. <laughs> No, I like that. There's, I mean, you're right. There's two sides of it. Um, Sometimes we're too hard on ourselves and don't see the God-given worth that we have and that God loves us as we are. Um, And but then there is the other side of that um, being truthful about the ways we are broken too. Um, And so the yearning is both on a cosmic level that I think I was talking about, where we want to find that true home. But I think it can be on a very personal level too. Is to know um, we're going back to Paul here. Why do I do these things I don't want to do? because though I am created in the image of God and have worth, um, I also, um, there's something broken about me as well. And so that personal yearning is captured in the Wizard of Oz, even as it also seems to capture that cosmic yearning. That's probably why it's such a classic, I would say. In, indeed. And and Josh, that was a brilliant segue, or segue, if you're mispronouncing it, <laughs> a brilliant segue to the next chapter, which is on prayers of confession. Mm. Because, yeah, though we are made in God's image, we are also broken people, and uh, and there is sin, and that's a reality. Uh, but, you know, you use, you use a film to illustrate prayers of confession that I did not see coming. I got to be honest, Toy Story? Oh, that surprised I mean, you, really? Okay. <laughs> Which, of course, I, I once you wrote about it and, and explained why, I went, oh, of course, I see that. Yeah. And, and, and you know, I know that film backwards and forwards sure. I it so many times with my kids. But, but <laughs> I mean, so help our listeners understand how Toy Story is actually a prayer of confession. Yeah, I think it helps to, to think uh, mainly about Buzz, Buzz Lightyear, uh, in this scenario. And maybe that's why it doesn't come immediately to mind, because we think about this you know, as, as Woody's story in a lot of ways. But in Toy Story, in the first film, um, one of the major narrative threads is Buzz um, coming to understand and admit who he really is, which is that he's not this space ranger. He's not this heroic figure, but in fact, he's he's a toy. And when it comes to confession, you know, I think our immediate instinct is to think about confession in terms of naming the acts we have committed um, that go against God's will. And certainly that's a part of it, but really those acts are just, um, it's just the bad fruit of, of what really is the rot that is at the heart of our sin that, that we do hold again, you know, recognizing our worth as created beings, but also the brokenness we have under sin. And, 
it's a form of self-deception. It, it's not admitting that we uh, are broken in many ways. That we That's what we need to confess in a lot of ways, is that basically start there and say that, yes, I do need um, God's redemption. I do need that grace that's provided by Christ's work. Um, and that's sort of the story. That's the, the the narrative that Buzz follows. You think about that great scene where he watches the commercial for other Buzz Lightyear toys, and suddenly it dawns on him the reality that I'm just a toy. I'm not this space ranger. And that's a that's a drawn out long scene as it sinks in, a very purposeful one. Um, and he fights against it. If you remember, he runs to the railing and tries to right. fly one more time um, in the face of that commercial he sees on TV. He still denies it. And all it results is on is in him falling down to the ground and getting literally broken. And it's not till he's, you know, recognizes that he is a literally broken toy that he can start over and build up then with that reality reality. Um, and, and so in that way, one of the main things to me, Toy Story is, is this uh, prayer of confession on behalf of Buzz Lightyear. Mm-hmm. Well, and Woody too, because remember Woody, his, he, I mean, his sin was, was uh, jealousy. I mean, he was, sure. Buzz came and threatened his, his territory and he wanted him to go out the window. Yeah. And then, yeah. And then he, and everybody says, you did it, Woody. No, I didn't. And he has to sort of admit, <laughs> yeah, I did. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I think that it's, yeah, I think because what confession, confession is an act of humility. Mm. It's saying, I'm not God. It's saying I'm, and, I, and there's something just so beautiful about that. And so I got to, I got to bring this one up because in that same chapter, you talk about the movie Trainwreck, <laughs> which I'm, I'm sure a lot of our listeners didn't watch and maybe shouldn't watch. I don't know. You got to discern, but it's, I thought it was hilarious and and kind of moving, and it's obviously full of vulgar humor and whatnot, but it's an Amy Schumer yeah. film. But, but I, too, was moved by the film, particularly, I think, in the way you were, in, in, in how she did sort of come face-to-face with her own brokenness. But talk, talk to the listeners about, about how that movie, for those who have seen it, um, also is, illustrates that same point. And this is one of those, as, as you mentioned, you know, if, if someone says that's not for me because it's rated hard and very raunchy, I totally get it. Totally understand. But for me, it was distinct from a lot of these sort of comedies where, um, Schumer plays this, um, she's a promiscuous, hard drinking magazine writer. She's basically just living her best life as she wants to, or at least, you know, what society tells her should be her best life. Um, I think her, if I remember right, her mantra is I am fine. I am in control, which she has to keep telling herself after she's recovering from another right. crazed night out. And it follows her again, the humility she experiences in realizing that, no, that's not the case. Not, not necessarily because of these specific acts. Uh, again, that that's the bad fruit, but because you have this underlying belief that you're in control, you can determine everything about your life and that what you want in the immediate moment is all that should matter. Um, You know, a lot of raunchy comedies spend time watching their main character indulge in bad behavior. And then in the last 30 seconds, they'll, they'll slap their hands on the, you know, slap them on the wrist and say, and punish them in some way and say, now you're going to be punished for all the fun you had. Uh, And then it ends. And it's really this kind of facile, um, hollow way to look at it. But 
Trainwreck, which Schumer notably wrote as well, spends a lot of time on her character's awareness and this recognition that there's something deeper um, going on here that I need to admit about myself um, and then move on from that point. And so it really stood apart from me, for me um, from a lot of the other raunchy comedies you get that kind of play in this sandbox, um, but really are just doing it in, in an exploitative way. Yeah, I agree. And I, I actually think that's why that film was blockbuster. I think it was so big. I mean, there are, there are raunchy, stupid movies that are blockbuster in the sense of sales, but mm-hmm. I think there was something really sweet about that movie that people were drawn to. And I think it was exactly what you're talking about. It was, it, it, her character does evolve and you get to that end and the end is actually, um, it, it, it it's a lot of it comes together and you get the feeling like she's actually grown up in a sense. Uh, in in a in a better way, uh, but but pretty funny along the way. Very the funny. Way I mean, Schumer Schumer so. is brilliant. So I I'm kind of, I'm a fan of hers. So I was already going into that one hopeful, and it was it was fun to see that it paid off. Yeah, I agree. I agree. One last one. Um, the, the prayers of obedience. We could do this all day, Josh, but our <laughs> listeners would were going to fall asleep or something. But uh, prayers of obedience. And you mentioned. Let me just list four that show up in that chapter that I bet a lot of listeners know about. What that would be. It's a Wonderful Life, mm-hmm. which I reference as my favorite movie. Rocky, the Rocky movies. I would say Star Wars or the Star Wars movies. And you include Field of Dreams as well. Mm. So I'm going to just toss that onto you. Pick one of those Ooh. four, and how does it illustrate a prayer of obedience? Yeah, maybe we should talk about Field of Dreams. I think that's one that is oh, good. not— I'm glad you did. All right, good. It's not an explicitly religious film, but um, it's almost—even in mainstream reviews of it, just mainstream critics talk about it in spiritual terms. You know, I think it just—it has that right there on the front, and it's really this— um, it's a spiritual journey, I think, of prayerful obedience on the part of Kevin Costner's character, this farmer who, you know, hears this whisper, if you build it, he will come and builds this uh, baseball diamond in his field. And there's a couple of, there's a misunderstanding almost of obedience on Ray Kinsella's part, the Costner character. Um, Cause for much of the movie, he just, he keeps doing these things in hopes of earning a payoff. And I think what's instructive about field of dreams is that that's not really what Christian obedience is. We, we don't offer our obedience to God um, in order to earn something rather obedience is more it's our response to a gift that's already been given, right? Um, that's what grace is. And then we respond by saying to God, um, this is what we can offer you in thanks. And also because, you know, the laws we are given by God are determined, they're meant for our flourishing. They're meant for our good. So that's another reason why it's good to obey. But Ray's lesson in this film is, you know, that when he builds this field and then the baseball players from the past arrive, eventually they go off into the field and he wants to follow them. He thinks this is what he has finally earned. Um, And He's not invited. And I think that's just a really instructive moment uh, of how we should think about obedience as being something that um, it's not like a rigged slot machine, as I write about, where you put in your acts of observance and then the reward comes spitting out. Um, it's more of just a, a response um, to the gift we've already been given. Oh, yeah. And there's so much in that film. I mean, it, it is definitely mystical and transcendent. You've got 
another dimension. You've got, is the cornfield heaven? Is Iowa right, heaven? Like, right. know, I love what the baseball players say to him. Is this heaven? Uh-huh. No, it's Iowa. <laughs> but uh, yeah, there's, there's so much going on and, and the, he not gets not one, but three whispers, you yeah, know, he's yeah. obedient with all three of them. And, uh, and that James Earl Jones character who can utter lines like nobody, you know, and he just, I says, know people will come. Ray. What a presence. People will most definitely come. That, oh, I just love the, the way he utters lines like mm-hmm. that. People will come. Ray. <laughs> and, uh, and they do. And it's just, I watch that film probably once a year. That's do you really? That, okay. It's oh, kind of yeah. a seasonal. I, I love baseball. Too. I was going to say, is yeah. it, is it part of your sort of seasonal get ready for the season liturgy? It is. I, yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I watch Field of Dreams. I watch The Natural. There you go. Uh, yeah, and those are those are movies that just um, I, I I continue to watch year after year. Yeah, they put you they put you in that space, right? That uh, that you can always return yeah. to that space that they create. Yeah, and the, yeah, they and for the love of the game, that's another odd one, and it's Costner again. Oh yeah, that's right. Baseball, mm-hmm. but it's uh, but there's something that that I'm drawn to all of those movies, and it's something about baseball too, and. Yeah, I remember years ago I was talking with a Christian artist, and he he had made the point that uh, that's that he said baseball actually is it fits Paul's admonition to set your mind on that which is beautiful, good, true, mm-hmm. you know that whole lit- litany of things. <laughs> yeah, and I went, what? How is baseball that way? And he said, don't think about it. I mean, it's a clean game. There are lines. There are there's three outs. There's three strikes. There's Everything it it just happens within this, and then the beauty of the ball and the bat and and the catch and the throw and so ever since then I've thought maybe there's something yeah spiritual about baseball that and maybe that's another reason I love those films I don't know well you know I we we've been talking about theology of film and a whole other area that is rich to explore is a theology of sports and I know there's been some academic work on that um, and maybe even a book or two but but a practical way of thinking about sports in theological terms. Um, I think we're, I'd love to see that happen. We try to do some of that on Think Christian. Um, We've written about the NBA playoffs recently and just dip our toe in that territory. But that's a huge area of interest to me as well that, that I think is um, really rich with potential. Oh, for sure. For sure. Well, this has been fantastic. And I do have a little, um, potential bonus for for people that want to hang on and listen a little longer. But I want to be sure and mention, as we've talked about, you're going to be leading an intensive workshop at the upcoming Apprentice Gathering. Can't wait. And uh, it's, it's yeah, now people will get a whole, you know, what, almost six hours with you to go deep into this stuff. Uh, say a little bit about the workshop and what you're, you're hoping people will get from that. Yeah, I think it'll be doing in community some of the things that I do in the book, because as I've gone around speaking with the book, and I found that it's more interesting to do workshops than necessarily lectures, um, where we can actually watch scenes from these films. And that what that really allows us to do is um, move a little bit beyond the thematic connections and dig into the aesthetic details that also echo some of these ideas I've been talking about. So you can really spend time talking about the cinematography, how the lighting works in a certain scene, um, or the use of color versus black and white. Talk about The Wizard of Oz there. What does that say and how might it relate um, to the way the film is functioning as a form of prayer? So there's that element that is good, is the audiovisual element, and also just the um, 
communal element of getting people to do, getting to do in real time with people, um, the interpretation of these scenes, because a lot of times um, it just pops out at you right as you're watching. Uh, It does for me, it will for the people who come to attend. And so I really hope this will be something where people can jump in, offer their own observations, ask questions, and um, make it a, a fruitful experience for everybody. Well, I'm sure it will be, and I'm I'm going to pop in myself as much as I possibly can. On Great, that. it's a busy day for me with the conference starting, but I'm 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 stoked. That's going to be September 26th, and uh, the conference then begins that night and runs through Saturday. So great speakers will be there. Um, William Paul Young, who's been on this podcast, author of The Shack, is going to be speaking, and other people. So it's really good. And um, but just to again, movies or prayers is the book. Uh, Josh Larson, and uh, you can follow Josh on Twitter. What's your Twitter? Is it handle? Is that the right yeah, word? Yeah, on Twitter, you can find Twitter. me at Larson on Film, and I have a Facebook page with the same name, Larson on Film. So yeah, find me there and um, send me a message, ask me a question, be happy to interact. Awesome. Well, before we get to the bonus round, I just want to say, Josh, thanks for being on this podcast. This has been a blast for me. I've loved it. It was fun. Yeah. Thanks, Jim, for your thoughtfulness. I appreciate it. Well, I hope you enjoyed this episode. I know I did. Josh is amazing. And if you liked what Josh is talking about and want to learn more, I would encourage you to consider coming to the Apprentice Gathering. Uh, That's our upcoming conference here at Friends University, September 26th through the 28th. You can find out about the conference at ApprenticeInstitute.org. And you can sign up for the conference and Josh's intensive workshop. It's going to be fantastic. Until then, you can find me on Twitter and Facebook at James Brian Smith, and you can learn more about this podcast at ApprenticeInstitute.org. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with a friend, and you can also subscribe, which means you're going to get them automatically each week. My hope is that one day, if you're asked, hey, what's on your mind, your answer will be things above.